So you've got your prize covered call set up and it's working in your account. Now what? How do you manage or adjust the position in different market scenarios? Well, lucky for you, we're going to go through and review the best covered call management techniques on today's podcast. And if you think that the show is just for stock traders, you'd be wrong because proper covered call management could be a lifesaver for options traders who get assigned and are forced to deal with stocks. You're listening to the Option Alpha podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's show, number 180, we're going to go through the best covered call management techniques and kind of walk through what to do with a covered call position in different market scenarios. And again, like we said in the intro, this is not just for people who are trading stocks and then layering on top a covered call. This show is for people who are also trading options that end up getting a signed stock and now have to deal with this stock position and they don't want to dump it because it may not always be the best scenario to dump the stock position and now have to use a covered call as a means to reduce cost basis or as a means to chip away at the underlying security. So I want this podcast to be kind of twofold for people who are trading stocks and then also for people who are deliberately trading options and again, who are getting assigned. So we're going to go through all of that today in the show. Just as a reminder, this show is really kind of the follow-up or brother-sister episode to show number 171 and 172 that we already went through a couple weeks ago. And so in both of those shows where we talked about both our research in covered calls and kind of how you can set up a cover call, how you might you know take advantage of different market scenarios, how best to use covered calls with stop losses or not, how far out or not to trade them. You'll want to go back through and review those episodes if you haven't already. So if you're brand new to the podcast or if you haven't listened to show 171 and 172, maybe go back through and review those first or use those in conjunction with this episode here. So let's kick it right off and get right into the different ways in which you can manage a covered call. And I think Ultimately, this show is going to be divided into three main sections, if you will. And this to me is just kind of dividing out the management into scenarios of where the stock might go. So the first scenario that we have to talk about is the stock rises. So whenever we're in a position where we have a covered call, we own the underlying shares and we've sold a call option against it. The first management scenario that we're going to find ourselves in is probably one of the better ones, which is that the stock actually rises. Now, there's two things that can happen here. The stock can rise and it can go beyond your short call strike. And in that case, you ultimately have the best possible scenario happen, right? The stock rises, it goes up, your assumption was right. It goes beyond your short call strike, which at some degree, you might have a little bit of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out on the potential gains higher, but you also did take in a premium for selling that call option. So you've gotten yourself into the best possible scenario. You've maximized as much of the premium and the profit potential in the position as you possibly can. So those scenarios are easy. You could either close out the short call option and maintain the stock position. If you desperately want to maintain the stock position and do another covered call the next month, or if you have to maintain the stock position and you want to keep that stock position because you don't want to pay capital gains tax on it, whatever the case is, you close out the short call option and you maintain the stock position, then redo another covered call in the next month. You could also just let the option contract assign your stock away. This is what a lot of people choose to do actually. 
And this is what a lot of people, especially if you are trading options and you get assigned stock and you are choosing to deal with stock as part of an assignment, that you sell a cover call, the stock rallies, which is the good news. It goes beyond your short call strike. And so you just simply let the market call the stock away. The call option is in the money at expiration. The broker is going to automatically assign it. You're going to have the stock to cover the assignment. And so now your position is wiped off of your account and you get all that cash and buying power back in your account. Now, some other little things that people often ask with the stock rising scenario is we just went through the scenario of just do nothing, right? Or I guess the management technique of do nothing, just let it expire, let it happen in the money, let it get taken away. But a lot of people ask, well, why not roll up the position if the stock is rallying? And my question to this is always why? So you got to have an understanding of why you want to roll up your short call option in that scenario. So let's say we have a stock that's trading at $100. We buy it at $100 and we sell the 110 call option to create the cover call. If the stock starts rallying and now your 110 is getting closer, why would you want to roll that contract up? Now, most people, they'd say, well, I want to roll that contract up from 110 to 115 to give myself more room for the stock to move. But you're always going to roll that contract up for a debit. And so that means that you're going to pay to move that position out because in, on one hand, you're giving the stock more room to run, but you're reducing the amount of premium that you collected on the position because you're now exchanging the upside potential of the stock for some reduced risk of the option contract going in the money. And so I'm not here to say like you don't ever want to do that, right? If you want to do that, you knock your socks off and you do it. I just think you always have to ask yourself, why would I roll up the position? So the next logical question is, okay, if the stock rallies and I want to keep the stock position, and again, this is probably all mostly assuming you want the stock position, you believe in the company, you believe in the stock, you want to maintain long exposure, but the stock rallies and now I don't just want to roll up in the same expiration month, I want to roll up and out to the next expiration month. Well, again, I would ask yourself why you would do that if you're doing it for a debit. Now, if you do it for a credit, you roll up to the 115s, but now you also roll out at the same time to the next monthly contract or to a monthly contract that's two months away from expiration, right? If you're getting close to expiration, if you take in a net credit on that roll, well, I think that's okay. I think you gave yourself more time, you give yourself more distance between you and the market, which obviously you need because there's more time until expiration. As long as you do that for a credit and you're still collecting premiums, which helps reduce the cost basis, that's okay. What I do see a lot of people do, and they'll send in emails about this, they'll roll up and out, or they'll just roll out at the same expiration and they won't take in a net credit on the roll. To me, that's paying to maintain the position. I don't think it's worth it to do that personally. I don't think it makes sense to do that for your trading. And I don't think our research would suggest that that's probably a good idea either. So if the stock rises, you really have kind of three choices to kind of sum it up. You do nothing and you let the position get taken away. You can choose to roll up, but again, ask yourself why. And you can choose to roll up and out. And I would only do that if you have the ability to take in a credit on that and to maintain the additional reduction in cost basis through the additional credit. So if you're going to give yourself, give the market more time to challenge your position, you should get paid for that. You should get compensated for that additional time. Now, let's say that the stock rises but actually doesn't reach your strike price. So to use our very simple scenario that we talked about earlier, let's say we have a stock trading at $100, we sell the 110 call option. Ideally, we'd love the stock to go up in price. And let's say the stock does go up, but it goes up to 105 by expiration. Well, that to me is probably the second best scenario that you could find yourself in. So that scenario is kind of great for the options trader, 
especially the cover call trader, because during that market environment, the stock didn't perform as well as they thought. It didn't go all the way up to 110 or beyond 110, but it did go up. And so it went up from 100 to 105. You made money on the stock. And because you sold the call option at 110, you collected all of that premium. That option contracts expire worthless and you collect all that premium to reduce your cost basis. To me, that's the second best scenario that you could find yourself in. The first best scenario is the stock goes up to 110 and beyond and you get called away. That's the ideal scenario. Second best scenario, stock goes up, it doesn't reach your call strike and you get to keep all that additional premium. In that case, management, super easy. You do nothing. You let it expire. You let it, the contract just end and cancel out. And then you come back around the next month or whatever your next cycle is and you sell another cover call option. All right. So that kind of gets us through the first part of this podcast, which is management when the stock rises. So we went through all those scenarios. Second part of this podcast is management when the stock is trading sideways. Now sideways is pretty vague. And what I'm talking about here is it's generally trading sideways. It's not really testing your short call strike. It's not really going down. It's kind of trading in a range, maybe bouncing around the same price that you ultimately bought the stock at. So in our example, if we bought stock at 100, the stock might trade up to 102, then back down to 100, down to 98, back up to 100. It's kind of bouncing around into a sideways range. You use whatever you want to use as the relative means of sideways, but in our case, that means generally bouncing around in a range. So when you have a stock that's trading sideways, you, again, have a couple different management choices for how you can choose to handle that covered call position. The first thing you can do is you can, again, choose to do nothing. I think this is the default for most people, and I think it should be generally the default for most people, is choose to do nothing. You sold the covered call. You know that the purpose of selling the covered call is to cap some of the upside potential in exchange for reducing some of the cost basis in the shares. And so that gives you a little bit lower break-even point on the shares. And that allows the stock to go through this fluctuation. And you recognize that that's part of the game, part of the process. That you're going to have some months where the stock just trades sideways and you might collect that whole premium from the covered call to reduce cost basis. Now, you don't have to do anything in this scenario. You can be a lazy trader, air fingers quotes, lazy trader, and do nothing and just collect your premium from the covered call. But most people want to do something. So if you choose not to do anything, right, or if you choose to do something and not sit on your hands, which again, you don't, you don't have to do anything. You can just sit on your hands. But if you choose to do something, one of the first things that people try to do or should do is roll down the call option. So this is a really simple technique for managing the covered call position. And I would suggest based on research that we've done elsewhere and definitely with calls and puts and iron condors, iron butterflies, et cetera, that your management and rolling down or your adjustment and rolling down that call option probably happens later in the cycle. Now, that's really hard because what a lot of people do is they have a tendency to over adjust the position early. And what I mean by this is you get into a position and you've got 60 days until expiration and five days after you enter the position, the stock goes down. A lot of people, still 55 days till expiration, are going to trip over themselves to make an adjustment. And in some cases, maybe it's warranted. Maybe the move down is big enough. Maybe there's a big enough change in the company that you got to start making adjustments and you got to start hedging the position. I don't think that's always the right way to go about it. I think if you made the trade, you knew what the probabilities were, you knew what the credit was heading into it, you've got to give it enough time to work itself out. 
And in particular, if you're long the stock already because you believe in the company and believe in the covered call position to begin with, which the stock is the majority of the position anyway, you should really focus on that stock position anyway, then you should have the ability in the stomach to go through a little bit of a downturn, maybe early in the expiration cycle. So my thought on this is always waiting until later in the expiration cycle to make an adjustment. And I think if you're selling a contract that expires in June, you wait until you get into the month of June expiration. If you're selling a contract that expires in July, you wait until you actually physically get into the month of July before you start making adjustments. Give that contract enough time and the market enough time to go through all the gyrations and cyclicality that it inevitably will go through. Things don't go down right away. They don't go up right away. They tend to gyrate and move in ebbs and flows. And so give the market enough time, right? Especially if you're trading contract 30, 40, 60 days out, just because it moves right against you in the first five days doesn't necessarily mean that you should readjust your entire strategy and completely abandon what the original entry was. So if you decide to roll down your contract, do it maybe later in the cycle. When you decide to roll down that contract, what you're doing is you're exchanging the further out short call option. In our example that we've been using in this podcast is the 110 short call option. You're exchanging that, which is probably reduced in value if the stock is trading sideways and closer to expiration. And you're moving that strike price closer for a higher credit. So in our case, we would close the 110 short call option that we have, and we might open the 105 short call option. So we close the 110 and we reopen the 105 and we've rolled down our short call option closer. Now, ideally what this is going to do is it's going to give you an additional credit. You're going to have to pay some money to close out of the 110 call option, but hopefully it's reduced in value because it's closer to expiration. The stock really hasn't gone anywhere. And some of that money that you paid is offset and then some by the amount of money that you collect by now selling the 105 call option. So the hope is that that additional credit then again moves your break-even point down by that additional amount. So if you sell the 110 originally for a dollar, and that's the total credit that you collected, so your cost basis gets reduced by a dollar, if you roll down the 110 to 105, and the net difference between buying the 110 and selling the 105 is an additional 50 cents a premium, well, that's great. Now your total credits on that covered call for the month are $1.50. So you've reduced your cost basis by another 50 cents. Now you had to give up something to get there, right? You couldn't just reduce your cost basis and get a free ride for 50 cents, right? You had to bring your top line kind of capped risk or capped profit down to 105. So now if the stock just all of a sudden makes a huge rally at the end of the expiration month, you're capped at 105. That's why you have to, in my opinion, you got to wait and give it enough time because as soon as you start making that adjustment down, now you're really capping your potential upside for that given month. So I would prefer, personally, this is me, I would prefer if I do that later in the cycle so that I only give the market 14 days, 15 days or so to move against me. And then, then on the next month, I can reassess and readjust that, that cover call to a different strike maybe further out. But that's a great technique is to roll down that call option because then you can, again, get an additional credit, which helps reduce your cost basis. And the stock is running out of time anyway. So if it hasn't moved against you or hasn't moved favorably, maybe it may not move favorably. So you want to try to actively do things that you, you can't do with a stock position by using options. You know, with a stock position, you can't actively reduce your cost basis. Your cost basis is fixed. But with an option contract and being able to adjust by rolling down your call option, you have the ability to actively reduce cost basis as the stock is just sitting there kind of trading in a range. 
So that's the second thing you can do. First thing you can do, like we said, do nothing. Second thing you can do, roll down the call option. Third thing that you can do is you can roll out the call option to the next month. And typically you would roll it out to the same strikes. Now you can roll it down a little bit or you can roll it up if you want to. But for the purposes of this conversation, we'll just assume you roll it out to the same strike in the next month. And ideally you'd be doing this again for a credit. And the idea here is that if the stock hasn't really moved and it hasn't gone up, it's been trading sideways in a range, then you want to give yourself enough time for the stock to move. And what better way to do that than just to punt basically your current cover call, hopefully for a little bit of a profit, out to the next month and give yourself more time to let the stock recover. Remember, a cover call position to me is all about the stock. The covered call is just a means to reduce cost basis and increase probability of success, but you still have to believe in the underlying security in stock. So if you still believe in it, and I assume you do if you're holding a long stock position and you've tied up all this capital for a really long time, then you should be okay just rolling that contract out. You could do this in two parts too. So you could combine the second technique and the third, which is you could roll down first and then later on you could roll out if it still doesn't work. That's a good way to do it. You could roll down and then roll down and out again in the next month, right? So you can combine these two different strategies. I prefer myself to use this in the way where I adjust the contract in the current expiration cycle first. So I would choose to roll down first, see if that works. If that doesn't work and I roll down once or twice and I'm trying to really cut the cost basis in the current month and I just run out of time, okay, great. Now I start to move to the next month. But I try as much as possible with anything that we get assigned that we have to deal with the position and, and write a cover call on to deal with everything in the current expiration month. I want to try to squeeze as much premium out of the current expiration month before I deliberately go to the next expiration month. And for me, the reason why I do this is because if you go out to the next expiration month and let's say you're trading a contract that's going to expire in 15 days and now you roll out to the contract that's going to expire in 45 or 50 days, what you've done is you've slowed down the speed of time decay. And as a result, the contract is not going to move as fast. The price of the option contract is not going to move as fast. So I think what a lot of people wrongly assume is that if I just go out to the next month and I collect this higher credit, then if the stock reverses or if the stock goes down, that that credit is going to come in faster, but it's not because that contract's now another 30 days, 40 days from expiration. And so as a result, that contract is going to behave much slower in reaction to market environments than a contract that's going to expire in 10 days or 15 days. So you just want to be careful and just, again, understand the differences and the little nuances in moving out the contract. If you move from a the front weekly contract that's going to expire soon out to the next monthly contract, they're not going to behave the same. They don't decay at the same pace. The front weekly contract is going to decay much faster than if you roll it out. So again, not to say that one is better or different than the other. Just understand when you roll a contract, what you're giving up and what you're getting. All right. So let's go through the third part of this podcast, which is the stock goes down. And this again is probably a likely scenario in many cases. I'd argue to say it's probably a scenario that's going to happen 50% of the time. Statistically speaking, the stock's going to go up 50% of the time. Stock's going to go down 50% of the time. Trade sideways in a range a fraction of the time, right? Or trade sideways for a brief period in time. So what do you do if the stock goes down? Well, in essence, you're going to use a lot of the same techniques that we used in the stock going sideways example, which is part two. The first thing you could do is you could do nothing. I don't necessarily agree with the do nothing strategy, in this example, because if the stock starts to go down and starts to go down in a meaningful way, 
and we're getting closer to expiration, I don't think you do nothing. I think you can obviously do something to reduce the cost basis even more, even if it's just by a little bit, because all of those little additional credits that you collect by rolling down contracts or making adjustments, they help at the end. If you do that enough, when the stock goes down in certain months and recovers in other months, then you really, really can chip away and increase the spread or the differential between your net cost of shares and where the actual shares are trading. So if the stock goes down, and I think down in a meaningful way, so 5%, 6%, right? Like a significant drop to where it's going to be hard for the stock to recover. Maybe it's a technical break. If you look at technicals, maybe it's a, a chart pattern break. If you use chart patterns or whatever it is for you, it goes down in a meaningful way and we start to get closer to expiration. Then I think you start to have to do something. I don't think that do nothing is a strategy, but some people do. Some people just say, look, I'm just going to do nothing. I'm going to sell cover calls. And if it goes down, then I collect that premium and I do it again the next month. Fine. That's the way you can do it. I don't think it's a good way to go about it. What you can do is you can, again, roll down your call option. You try to be a little bit more aggressive in those scenarios because at that point, it's not about making money anymore. It's about reducing cost and reducing risk. So if we're trading a stock that is at 100 and we sell the 110 call option, now the stock trades at 90. So basically got a 10% haircut. I might roll down my 110 strike call option all the way down to 93, 94, right? Something really, really low. Because at that point, all I'm concerned about is reducing the risk. I'm concerned about trying to reduce the risk as much as possible in that underlying stock position versus just rolling it down from 110 to 108. That probably does nothing for you and definitely wouldn't add a lot of additional premium and credit enough to reduce the cost basis on the shares. You really want to try to be probably a little bit more aggressive in these scenarios to try to protect and put a Band-Aid on the position. You can also roll down and out again, like we had discussed before in, in the number two scenario where the stock goes sideways. If you roll down and out, you just want to, again, keep in mind that rolling out to the next expiration, even if it collects additional premium, is going to behave slower. Those contracts are not going to behave as fast and it is going to cap your upside potential for yet another month. So I'm more of a fan of making an aggressive adjustment in the current month, even if I have to do it temporarily for the next 15 days, because if the stock starts to recover, okay, fine, I can roll out and up and reset everything for the next month. But for that time period, I don't know if the stock's going to recover. So I want to be a little bit more aggressive than not. The other thing that you can do in this scenario, and I think that not a lot of people talk about this, is if you feel like you're starting to get really stretched, right? So the stock is really starting to go down or you're really concerned about it. You still believe in the company, but you're not quite sure what's going to happen or maybe afraid of an overnight gapping type scenario, right? What you can do is you can use that premium from selling the covered call to temporarily buy protection on the put side. Now, depending on how high volatility is and how much the stock is moving down, might depend on how much protection you get and at what strike price. But you can use that premium on the call option to buy some put protection. This would effectively be called a collar strategy. We've talked about this in other podcasts. I think it's a great strategy if you're trading stocks and you want to use a collar to hopefully reduce a lot of the downside risk that's inherent in stock positions and equity positions and use the cover call premium to do that. So to use our example, if we sell the 110 call option and we collect a dollar, we might use that dollar to buy a put option. And even if you buy it temporarily and say you buy it for a dollar, right? And you buy the 80 strike put option, if you can get it for that, you buy the 80 strike put option for a dollar. If the stock starts to recover 
you could sell back that put option when you don't need it and say the value of the put option went down from a dollar to 80 cents. So you lost 20 cents. But for that time period that you had it, you had some protection in the position. So to me, this is kind of like an on off switch, right? And it's going to cost money in most cases, right? It's going to cost money to buy the insurance and protect the position, but that's what you want it for. But you turn it on if you want the protection and then you turn it off if you don't. And you hope that you minimize that differential. But during the times where you need the protection, you can buy that put option using the proceeds of the call option to temporarily protect the position. And it didn't cost you anything out of your account, right? So that's the thing that I think is really cool about this if you do it right is that you're using the money that you already took in from selling the call option. Now that it's far out of the money and really, really far above where the stock is trading, it's not costing you any additional capital. You don't have to come out of your own pocket necessarily in your account to cover this position. You already sold the call option. You already collected it. Your stock is now collateral, but use that money now to protect that stock position by buying some put options down below the market. And ideally you would want to do it for a premium that is about the same or hopefully a little bit less if you can do it than the call option that you sold. And so again, creating this caller strategy is a, a really effective way and you could even do it right in the beginning of the strategy if you wanted to. It's a really effective way to reduce some of the downside risk on the extreme tail end. It probably won't reduce the risk of the stock going down another 2 or 3 or 4 or 5%. That's not what it's there for. It's to reduce the risk of the stock gapping another 10 or 15% lower, right, during that expiration month. So if things become really volatile for a period, maybe you just buy that protection just for that next two or three weeks, right? And then you take it off if you need to and go right back to selling regular cover calls if you want to. So hopefully that helps out with all these different management techniques. I know we kind of went through a lot of different things, but again, just to recap, when the stock rises, you can do nothing, you can roll up, but again, the question is why. You can roll up and out, just do it for credit. If the stock trades sideways, again, do nothing, roll down your calls or roll them out at the same strike. And if the stock goes down, you can choose to do nothing, which is probably not a good idea. You can roll down aggressively. You can roll down and out, or you could use the premium from the call option to buy put protection and create a collar. So hopefully this has been really helpful to kind of go through these management techniques. We get a ton of questions on this. And so the goal of this podcast was to help you understand the different scenarios you could find yourself in when trading cover calls and how you might potentially approach the management of your cover call position for that month or the next month. So as always, if you guys have any other follow-up questions, please let us know. Add a question to the show notes over at optionalpha.com slash show 180 or just shoot us an email, let us know, and we'll make sure we get your question answered and get you on the right track. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hey, Kirk, this is Brian again from Illinois. I listen to your daily and your weekly podcasts, and, and over the past few weeks, you've talked quite a bit about, in comparison at least, quite a bit about various brokerages and platforms, and you mainly mention Thinkorswim, Robinhood, and Interactive Brokers. I'm just curious, in my, albeit comparatively very limited experience, I've also had TradeStation come across my computer screen many times from other traders or from advertisements or whatever, and they also seem like a pretty competitive brokerage and platform, but you never seem to talk about them. So I'm just curious to know your thoughts on TradeStation, since you mentioned Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, and Thinkorswim. Is there a reason for that? Is Do you have limited experience with TradeStation or is there something about that platform that you actually discourage people from using it? And I just, I'm not aware of that. 
Thanks. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for submitting the question in here. And so just to be clear, like, I don't think I talk a lot about TradeStation only because I feel like it comes up a lot in comments, but I don't have a problem with TradeStation. I think TradeStation's a fine brokerage platform to use. Like I've said a number of times, I myself have used Thinkorswim and TD Ameritrade for a number of years. I think if you look at Thinkorswim, Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, TradeStation, E-Trade, Schwab, I mean, they all have their benefits and drawbacks. I usually encourage people to sign up for multiple brokers, try to get a demo of the account, try to download the software even in paper format because you might just gravitate to one platform versus another. I think that what TradeStation has done maybe different than some of the other ones is they've had a real big focus on integrating with other APIs and services and products, whereas you don't really find that a lot with, definitely not with Robinhood right now, definitely not that much with TD. Interactive Brokers has an API, but it's not as robust as maybe some of the other brokers that are out there. So I think that if you look at it that way and you ask yourself, what do I really need out of a broker platform? That's where you might find the answer. So I don't not use, think that they're not good or that they couldn't be good to use for somebody. I think that for my particular case, I, I like using Thinkorswim and TD right now. And I think that over time, as we gravitate towards the bot platform and auto trading, I think that most of the brokers are just going to be a means to facilitate the trades. You find that a lot of people, what they do is they love Robinhood, for example, just because it's really easy to use. I myself do not like Robinhood because I think it's oversimplistic and it doesn't give me a lot of the right data and, and analysis that I need for my portfolio, right? The beta weighting of positions, you know, the probabilities the right way and, and some of those things. So that doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just it's, that doesn't fit my personal style. So yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, I think ultimately every broker right now is going to be super, super competitive. We've seen all of the rates of brokers go down and they will continue to go down until everyone is basically at zero. And then everyone will be competing based on tech. And I think that that's where you ultimately have to find yourself is what broker platform has the right technology stack that ultimately appeals for what you want to do as a trader. So again, thanks so much for submitting the question, Brian. Remember, if you guys want to get your question answered here on the podcast, just like Brian did, simply head on over to optionoff.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's really easy. And let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to discuss a new trade that we're making today. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right. So new trade that we're actually trying to make, and I'm just full disclosure here. This trade is one that I've been trying to fill for the last day and a half. So at the time I'm recording this podcast, it's in the afternoon. I was trying to fill this trade yesterday, still trying to fill this trade today. And that is a very wide iron butterfly in TLT. And I like the wide iron butterfly in TLT here because one, we just like iron butterflies from a lot of testing that we've been doing, a lot of research, but two, because it gives me a lot of defined risk. I think that bonds, and I've said this, I think in the last podcast too, you get in these scenarios where you feel like and after trading for a while, you feel like there's going to be a move, right? That the stock is trading sideways or it's just trading in a range. It feels really tight, but this can happen for quite some time. You know, TLT is a good example of this because even before the market crashed at the beginning of 2020, you look at the end of 2019 last year and effectively from August to December, the end of December, bonds traded exactly sideways net net. In fact, most of the months it ended sideways, lots of volatility in between the month, but most of the months it ended sideways. And so if you find yourself in that scenario where even if you think like I do right now, 
This is my opinion. I think that we're going to have a move in bonds at some point, but I just don't know when it's going to come. And so as a result, I have to continue to trade. I can't just wait for this inevitable move that might take four or five months to happen. The end of 2019, you had bonds trade effectively sideways for August, September, October, November, December, right? That's a lot of time of just sideways action where an iron butterfly, and we did, we cleaned up during that time period. That was great. It was a great period to trade TLT and continue to trade it, right? That's what you have to do in this scenario too. So even though I feel, and I'm talking more about this on these podcasts, because I feel like a lot of people ask like, what's your opinion on the market? Well, even though I have an opinion on it, doesn't mean that I should just dramatically change the way I trade and buy straddles and buy strangles. I still know what the numbers and the math suggest I should do, but I, I still can feel that emotional opinion of, I think that thing, something's going to go somewhere in bonds. So I want to keep the position size in check as always. I want to keep it, you know, small position. This is our first position that we're trying to get into for the month of June expiration in TLT. So I think we'll probably end up filling at some point today. We're trying to get into the position, which is selling the 165 centered iron butterfly and then buying the long wings, $10 out on either end, just to keep it really symmetric, really balanced. This is the first one. So we're only doing two contracts and we're trying to get it filled around 570. So if we can get it filled around 570, which is basically where it's been trading all day and there's lots of liquidity, lots of volume, just can't seem to line up all the contracts right, I guess, then we can get this position in. But like I said, this is a position that we're trying to fill right now. If bonds move tomorrow and the center strike is now at uh, 164, then we can slide it down potentially or we can do an iron butterfly or something like that. But right now it's trading around 165. So we're going to try the 165 centered iron butterfly, buying the long wings at 175 on the call side and 155 on the put side. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so that's a wrap for this week's podcast here at Option Alpha. But before we go, let's keep the conversation going. As always, please connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Let us know what questions, ideas you have, thoughts came to mind after listening to today's show. We are everywhere at Option Alpha. Also, I want to give you guys a quick update on what's coming up next week on the podcast. So next week on the podcast, we're going to be going through our correlation research, which suggests, as many people have heard me say a number of times, and I've alluded to this, but we'll really dive deep into it in next week's podcast, that diversification fails just when you need it most. So you definitely don't want to miss that podcast where we talk about all the different correlation studies that we did among all these different major classes of ETFs and market indexes. So that one's going to be dropping next week right here on the podcast. Also, if you're a pro member, we do have our onboarding webinar, which is coming up this Wednesday at nine o'clock. So if you just recently signed up or just in the last couple of days, we go through our onboarding webinar on Wednesday at nine o'clock. This is a really popular thing that we do where we kind of go through the top level blueprint of the trades that we're making. I don't know if you guys heard that in the background, but that was the trade actually filling. So that's great. So we go through all the blueprint and the high level of the trades that we're making and how we build our portfolio, how we think about building out portfolios with position sizing and laddering and allocations, things like that. It's a really fun time that we get to spend with pro members. And so hopefully you can join that again Wednesday at nine o'clock. As always, I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. And until next time, happy trading.